listening to Grace and People, a podcast about the people of Grace and Peace Austin. I am Nate Oinanen, and today is a very special episode because for the first time, we get to hear from one of our local ministries that we support. In fact, we get to hear from two of the local ministries we support. First off, we have um, Terry Dykstra. He's going to be doing the interview. And Tim Wong is going to be interviewed. So Terry Dykstra um, moved to Austin from Atlanta four years ago to become campus minister for RUF International at UT. And he's married to Mary Rose, and they attend Grace and Peace with their son, Arthur. Tim Wong is a graduate and facility, sorry, a graduate and faculty campus minister with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at UT Austin. He and his wife, Janie, and nine-month daughter, Nora, live in Northwest Austin, and they attend Austin Chinese Church. And so um, Tim is one of the local or works for one of the local missions that we support in varsity Christian Fellowship. So let's listen in. Um, this was recorded on May 3rd, 2021. Hey, I'm Terry Dykstra. Today is May 3rd, 2021, and I'm joined today by my friend Tim Wong, who is a fellow minister to, uh, to students uh, at the University of Texas. Tim, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, how are you doing, man? Yeah, yeah, Terry, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm doing well. This is my first podcast interview, so a little nervous, but also excited to share more about myself with the Grace and Peace family. Awesome. Yeah. So good to see you. First time interviewing, first time interviewee. So um, we'll see how it goes, but uh, looking forward to this conversation. So yeah, like I said, it's been a while since I've seen you. Um, definitely since I've seen you in person. I know that was on the other side of, of the pandemic, but um, how are you doing? You've, I think, gotten married since I last saw you. You've had a little girl since I've last seen you. How are Janie and Nora doing? Yes, we had a pandemic baby um, mm -hmm. not too long after Janie and I got married. So it's been uh, somewhat of a whirlwind the past couple years. Uh, but to be honest, you know, having a baby during the pandemic, there's been a lot of um, real, real gifts and blessings that have come with that. And just, just the fact that we have um, just a bright-eyed, joyful, very chubby, adorable baby <laughs> around us 24-7. It kind of, it really gives us a, a, a little bit of hope and, and things to do, to be quite honest. And, mm. um, you know, uh, just, just something to invest in outside of the pandemic and all the doom and gloom around us. And so that's, that's really been really nice, apart from like the, the sleepless nights and the crying and the constant bottle feeding, <laughs> but overall, overall it's been, it's been great. And, um, we're, we're really thankful that she's in our life and, um, that we've been able to kind of journey with her, um, through this. Yeah. So how old is Nora now? When was she born? So she was born August 4th, mm -hmm. uh, 2020. I'm trying to get my math straight, my date straight. <laughs> and so she's almost nine months. I guess tomorrow will be her nine month birthday. Already wearing 12 to 16 month clo size clothing. So she's kind of huge, you know, staying <laughs> in those high percentiles. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Uh, 
starting to eat solids, starting to babble, starting to be able to sit up on her own. So kind of reaching those milestones um, to the point where she's becoming a bit more uh, semi-independent, I guess. And, um, and so that's been uh, really fun to watch and, and to see. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, I know, I know all about the high percentile babies. Um, Arthur, our son, since the time he was born with hundredth percentile and high oh and weight. So, um, he's, he turns three in a couple of weeks, but he's been in four T five T clothes for several months now. Um, so oh, wow. I know all about that, man. Um, we can, we can definitely bond over, over the big babies. <laughs> That's awesome. Man. I, yeah, I, I need to, I need to see pictures of Arthur now. I'm super curious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll just have to get them together at some point too. Um, be fun to, to hang out, but well, Tim, yeah, you are also are on staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Can you tell us a little bit about InterVarsity and what your role specifically is? Yeah, I'd love to. So um, InterVarsity is, is really an interdenominational campus ministry spread across hundreds of, of campuses around the country. And actually, we're a part of a global movement. Uh, that's called IFES, and it stands for the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students. And the history of InterVarsity in the USA actually can be traced back to the UK, um, because maybe during the early 20th century, there was a student ministry that was started between Oxford and Cambridge that was called InterVarsity. And it slowly made its way to North America, first in Canada, then to the Midwest and the US, and then really just started spreading to different um, campuses around the country. And we are in our very much our identity in very much in our uh, focus, a university ministry. That's, that's where we are. That's the context that God's um, given us as a mission. And um, that's where we really want to spend all of our energy kind of studying, understanding, serving, and um, really, really seeing God work in. So um yeah, and it's a little bit, yeah, and InterVarsity has been in Texas um, off and on for a good number of years, and I, I specifically work in the graduate and faculty um, corner of InterVarsity, and we could talk more about that in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, when did you when did you start with InterVarsity? How long have you been in that role? Yeah, yeah. So I, I wasn't a part of InterVarsity as an undergraduate student. I was actually part of a part of a crew movement at UTSA in San Antonio. And I got connected to InterVarsity just through a lot of relational connections, um, through staff that I'd met and become friends with. And I actually was invited to plant a new graduate and faculty chapter um, at UT in 2017. And so mm. uh, I've been kind of on this planting journey um, for a little, you know, almost, almost four years now, actually, now that I think about it. Um, and, uh, I've, I've been, I've been enjoying the, the ride, um, the, a lot of the, the joys and challenges of, of starting something new, but yeah, it's been, it's been a little over four years. Did you hope to start something new or what has, what has that process of planting, trying to start something from scratch been like for you? You know, it's, uh, there have been a lot of challenges, um, but there's also been 
a lot of moments where I could see clearly that God is at work and God is calling me to do this. But the, the funny thing is originally I, I had no real desire or interest to come to Austin um, or to come back to Austin. I had, I had lived in Austin for a couple of years. Um, I was in graduate school. I was doing ministry, but um, I was back home in San Antonio. And the whole time when I was even thinking about coming on staff, um, thinking about working with university, I always thought I would uh, work at different campuses in San Antonio and um, do graduate and faculty ministry there. Um, but it wasn't until a conversation that I had with my now supervisor where he really invited me and really challenged me to consider coming to UT and coming to plant mm. um, a new GFM chapter here in Austin. And so I had to wrestle with that. I had to think about that. I had to work through you know, feelings of insecurity, feelings of kind of imposter syndrome, feeling, feelings as though maybe I wasn't the right fit. Um, but, uh, through a series of just kind of conversations and interventions and prayer, God really just kind of affirmed that he was going to be the one leading me and guiding me. Mm. And so I was able to really say yes to that invitation. And that was, you know, like I said, uh, almost four years ago now. Um, so yeah, it wasn't on my, it wasn't on my radar, but, um, I find that, I find that in my life, at least God kind of pulls me into things that, that aren't necessarily what I was expecting or wanting. Mm. He has a, he has a way of doing that, doesn't he? (laughs) So you mentioned, you know, obviously being part of a a ministry when you were in undergrad, what, how does ministry differ for you as you're seeking to minister to graduate students? Yeah, there's a, there's a a big number of differences. There's a lot of similarities. Um, Mm just with the general nature of campus ministry to undergrads, but there's a lot of differences. Um, you know, I, I will say one of the, one of the reasons why I was even drawn to working with graduate and faculty um, was just from my kind of lay of the land. And from my perspective, I, I, I saw that there were like dozens of campus ministries on most university campuses, but most, if not all, we're not serving graduate students and faculty. Mm -hmm. And so there was just a tremendous need to really uh, consider what does it actually look like to have a robust ministry to graduate students and to faculty. And at least with InterVarsity, our vision is actually to see the university renewed. You know, our, our vision statement is to see students and faculty transformed, campuses renewed, and world changers sent out. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think we realize that if we're not serving the graduate students and the faculty who are actually going to be in the university campus long-term, you know, many of the graduate students want to, want to pursue faculty careers, um, then our, our vision is kind of limited in what we're actually able to do. And so about 30 years ago, at least in university, uh, a graduate and faculty ministry became its kind of own independent arm with its own leadership and its own staff. And so I think it was really that vision and that need that kind of drew me, drew me there. Um, in terms of the, the big differences, I think uh, two of the big ones that come to mind is, you know, an undergraduate coming to college, they're really in many ways in their stage of their life and their development, um, they're figuring out who they are maybe for the first time. Um, or who they are without their, you know, parental authority. And they're kind of exploring um, their identity in that way. Um, Graduate students are sometimes doing that. 
but it's 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 much more set i think and faculty mm-hmm. definitely it's much more set sure yeah who they are and so that i think that dynamic actually uh affects the way you do ministry um and and i think in with graduate student ministry it's much more contextual in helping graduate students really think about and consider what does it look like for me to integrate my faith with my pursuit of scholarship or with my pursuit of my academic career or vocation you know not just you know what does it mean to be a christian on sunday morning but what does it mean to be a christian scientist monday through saturday or a Christian philosopher Monday through Saturday, or, you know, a a Christian writer Monday through Saturday and to do so Mm -hmm. in a very secular environment, but also recognizing that, you know, first and foremost, I'm a follower of Jesus. And so I think that process can be very messy, but I think that's a big question that animates a lot of kind of what we do or who we want to be as a ministry. Yeah. That's great, man. Uh, such such a huge need, like you're saying too, because obviously also being in campus ministry, um, we both are grateful for the campus ministries we participated in as undergrads. But, you know, when you graduate, you know, that's not that's not the end necessarily. And yeah, a lot of my students are also grad students. And so, um, yeah, this is a huge need for sure. Mm. As you, you know, you talked about grad students often wanting to pursue faculty what has the faculty ministry side of your ministry looked like and what does that look like in general across intervarsity yeah well here's the here's the funny thing and this is kind of goes back to your differences as well you know we're in campus ministry we realize when undergraduate students tell us oh man terry oh man i'm so busy i wish i could do that but i just really Mm. can't in the back of that mind we're thinking (laughs) okay you're probably maybe a little busy but I think when I, if I looked at your structure of your kind of schedule, you probably have the time and it's probably right. just your sense of busyness. Um, Cause they also have to like binge the Netflix series or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like that's yeah. Part of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, they definitely have to finish Wanda WandaVision tonight, you know, <laughs> the, the eight episodes. So I think there's that, there's that there, but when you, I think for graduate students um, they are actually significantly busier. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. oftentimes they do have to prioritize you know, ministry in order to actually be a part of it. And um, sometimes it can actually be really challenging to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being sensitive to that, but I think when you go to faculty, I mean, that's just exponentially um, more difficult in terms of getting their time. You know, you think about the number of committees that faculty are on, you think about the teaching load that they have, you think about the students that they are advising, you think about their family dynamics and what they need there. It's just, I mean, it's tremendous. Um, the the ways in which faculty are pushed and pressed for their time and um you know there's been so many uh, articles and uh, pieces that have been written the last year about how much faculty have struggled um, mm-hmm. in the pandemic especially uh, female faculty who have children young children at home and so it's just it's a, i think time is um one of our one of the the biggest issues we need to be sensitive to Um, Mm. and I think one of the gifts of faculty ministry in this season, you know, I've, when I came to campus, I've been primarily, I I was primarily worked with graduate and professional students in the last year or so I've been, I've been engaging more and more in faculty ministry. 
And one thing that I found in the pandemic is that for some faculty, for a good number of them, going to an online Zoom meeting is actually easier and more conducive to their schedule. It's, it'll actually, it actually serves them more mm. than going to an in-person faculty gathering. Um, I think part of it is they don't have to walk across campus. You know, they can just mm -hmm. turn on their screen. Um, I think another one is just, just the reality um, that, you know, a Zoom meeting is 30 minutes to an hour. And, and I think it's just, it's just something, in, something in terms of their schedule where they're much more likely to kind of commit to that and to be open to that. And so we found, honestly, that um, creating spaces, kind of creating sacred spaces online through Zoom for faculty, there's been a big draw. And there's been an opportunity to engage in faculty in other campuses in Texas that don't have a faculty ministry presence mm -hmm. on their campus. And, and they've, had, they've found fellowship that I don't even know if they were really realizing that they needed. Um, and so I think, uh, I think a lot of faculty ministry in this season is inviting them to spaces that are short, but that are meaningful and that are online where they can kind of join from anywhere. And sometimes even with uh, most of the time, I think with faculty from other campuses. Um, yeah. That's awesome. That's a good reminder too of, of what a blessing it is that through the season we've had Zoom, we've had this technology to be able to do that, right? To be able to connect because I mean, Zoom fatigue is real. Like we all, you know, um, depending on how much of our day we spend on it, um, yeah. I get like not wanting to, to sign up for more Zoom meetings and, you know, especially as we both can probably relate. Um, how do you get people to come to another Zoom meeting, right? That's not yeah. necessarily like part of their job or mandatory. Yeah. What has that been like for you? Like what, can you talk a little bit about like what you've done with those times and, and how that has been fruitful and how basically you've been able to draw faculty into those spaces? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so one of the great things about Zoom ministry is that you're not confined to your campus, you know? Um, in terms of the number of Christian faculty in higher education, you know, it's not a big number, to be honest. Um, and sometimes it can be challenging to have a, a critical mass of faculty gathered together. So one of the great things about faculty ministry that we've been doing is we've been partnering with other organizations like the Veritas Forum and partnering mm -hmm. with our national faculty ministry to host spaces where uh, faculty around the country even could be gathering together. So um, this last year, we hosted what we called the Digital Camino for faculty. And, and what the, the vision for that was, was creating an, an online space that where, where faculty can connect and debrief and um, talk about kind of spiritual walks that um, we structured for them to go on. And so, you know, we, we, we took, I don't know if anyone's familiar with um, the Camino del Santiago, but in very much, it's a, it's a pilgrimage um, up to like a hundred miles, uh, more than a hundred miles of pilgrimage in France and Spain that um, people from all over the world go on every year. 
And um, people go on it for many reasons. You know, they go on it in the season of transition. They go on it in a season of grieving. Um, they go on it during a time of um, uh, maybe maybe figuring out where they are in their spiritual life. Um, they do it for the joy of community and connection and exercise and all those kinds of things. So there's all, a lot of reasons why people go on this, this pilgrimage. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to kind of create, distill some of the themes from these pilgrimages, but do it in a way where on their own time, faculty could go on these guided walks as we engaged in various spiritual disciplines various spiritual practices and spiritual reflections about what it means to, to connect with God during this season of pandemic and what it means to, to really connect with ourselves and our bodies and our life in this zoom time of, you know, kind of disembodied connection. And so we did those walks and faculty got to connect and debrief and share with each other after them. And it was largely just um, fruitful in their lives, uh, the ways in which it gave them space to close, uh, to slow down a little bit, the ways in which it gave them space to consider, um, and, and the ways in which they were connected to other faculty through this process. Um, mm -hmm. faculty often talk about the double isolation of being a faculty member. And what they mean by that is oftentimes in, in church communities, they feel isolated because maybe people don't really understand or respect their life as an academic in the university context. And then, you know, Monday through Friday, they're in a secular work environment and a secular academic context. And oftentimes their colleagues really don't understand what it means to be a person of faith or a follower of Jesus, or they may have negative connotations about that. And so there's this very real isolation that they feel in the midst of their their very busy lives and so just having those spaces where they can connect with each other encourage each other realize that they're not alone is a big benefit and something that we saw and experienced in the camino and so it, it went so well this last year that we're hoping to do we're planning on doing another one around uh the celtic tradition the celtic way the, the mm. pilgrimage that many many go on in in ireland and the ways in which god can can kind of meet people through that so we're excited about that um and that's just one of a, maybe a handful of ways we've been able to connect with faculty this year. Man, that's awesome. That's really, it's so cool to see, to hear that, but also, you know, just like other things that other people have done, like in this time, just because you, you know, got to do new stuff. Um, yeah. That sounds really awesome. Yeah. How, so Zoom obviously has become a big part of it. You're talking about these pilgrimages. How else has ministry changed for you in the, you know, 14 months or however long we've been in COVID now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think um, it's, it's changed in a lot of ways. Um, I am, I think I'm, I'm, I'm a much more relational face-to-face -face type person. Um, and so that was a big shift for me mm. to just moving from face-to-face -face interactions to zoom. Um, I think another one was, in the graduate school context, we were kind of um, replanting our ministry because uh, some of our main leaders had graduated and we weren't able to kind of reproduce new leaders. So we were very much in a replanting season. And to be able to, to kind of lean into that over Zoom at first was quite scary and intimidating. 
Um, but over time, I think we were able to see like, no, there, there's actually some benefits and, and we're choosing to believe um, mm. that God can work in even this way. And God wants to work in this way and being open to the ways God can work in this way. And so I think um, just, just, I think for myself, openness to maybe the new thing that what God wants to do in and through us, even in a pandemic was something I had to very much adjust to and um, kind of reframe my heart towards in some ways. So yeah, that's, I would say that those are the, those are the big ones. Um, and, and I think another, another big one, at least in graduate student and professional student ministry, a lot of the temptation, at least in this season of pandemic has been around ownership for me because, you know, I'm the full-time staff member, you know, these students are so busy, these students, you know, probably can't do certain things as well as I can. And so I'm going to take the responsibility to do it all myself. And I think it's very tempting to believe that, but I think the truth of the matter is, is oftentimes God wants us to relinquish control and God wants us to empower others. And oftentimes students and faculty can even do things better than we can or do things in a way that we, we never thought we could do, or we, it never, it never came across my mind to do. And and that um, the ministry is actually better off and more fruitful because of it, you know? And Amen, so <laughs> I know. And, and so I've had to wrestle with that and I haven't done it perfectly in any sense of the imagination. Um, I don't even know if I've done it well in any sense of the imagination, but um, it's something that I've been, I feel like I've um, come, a, come up against pretty regularly and felt the need to, um, to give, give ministry away. Um, but to do it in a way that's kind of creative and, and wise and empowering ultimately. Dude. Yeah, dude. I just want to say, amen. Preach. brother. <laughs> that's one of, I feel like the hardest lessons to learn, at least like for me, you know, cause we've, we've been in our roles about the same amount of time and um, my personality type two is just like lends itself towards like, I just need to do it. Cause like nobody's going to do it as well as me, but like, yeah it's not as terrible for ministry. And like you're saying, you know, our students have connections, other gifts that, that are better. And, um, absolutely, you know, and we even see in the whole Bible, God using people who obviously are not as effective in ministry as him or as Jesus or, you know, but like, that's who he uses because that's how he makes himself known. Um, I mean, I just think about Jesus and feeding the 5,000. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus could have easily fed the 5,000 on his own, but he trust entrusted, you know, the five loaves and two fishes and the baskets of the fish and bread to disciples that were tired, angry, uninterested, mm-hmm. and very doubtful about what Jesus could do. Man, and Jesus yeah. entrusted it to him. And, and I just think about so many times, like, how many times am I not doing that? You know what I mean? Like how many times am I very much taking things into my own hands because I can do it better or they won't be as interested or they're not going to know what to do. Um, and I think it's a, it's a, it's a good question that we need to be asking ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how, 
how can grace and peace, you know, as we, as we hear about what you're doing, how God is working through InterVarsity and graduate and faculty students, how can the people of grace and peace, how can we as a church uh, partner with you and the ministry you're doing? Well, thanks for asking that, uh, Terry. I mean, I, I, I guess the first thing I want to say is that I feel as though grace and peace is already doing so much um, in, in their financial partnership. Uh, mm. for me and for the ministry on campus. I mean, I, I'm so grateful. I've, I've attended Grace and Peace, you know, a handful of times. I've shared at the church uh, a couple of times, and I'm always so thankful that um, the church as, as a congregation um, and the ministry teams and leadership are just so generous and and their support of various ministries. Um, so I, I guess the first thing I want to say is I already feel the support from Grace and Peace. And um and I'm very thankful for that. Um, the second one is, um, you know, if anyone's listening to this podcast and was like, oh man, that's really interesting. Like what Tim's doing, or I'm curious to learn more. Like I would just be very happy to like grab coffee sometime and get to know you and hear about maybe what your, your passions are for ministry, what your sense is about kind of opportunities, even for partnership. Um, you know, we're always looking for volunteers. I think the question is just, what's a good fit, you know, and, mm-hmm. and what, what would a good fit look like and, and how would this play out um, given people's time and gifts and energies. So I think there's, there's always opportunity there. Um, and, and another one is just um, network and relational connections. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm pretty limited in my, uh, I guess the, the, the churches and the individuals that I'm connected to and, and I, and I'm, I'm pretty confident that there's, you know, dozens, if not more of students and faculty that are, that are on campus at UT um, or connected to UT that just have no idea what InterVarsity is and what we do. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've met a graduate student and they're just like, yeah, I have no idea there's a graduate student ministry. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I was thinking I had, I'd have to go to an undergrad ministry and I didn't want to do that because I felt, I would feel out of place. <laughs> like I can't, how many, I can't tell you how many times like that conversation mm-hmm. has come up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so if, if anyone has any sort of connections, like, oh no, you know, like I think I should, you know, this person may be interested in talking to Tim, um, we happy to, to connect. Awesome. So what, what is the best way for, for people to find you or to reach out with you? Yeah. Um, feel free to email me at uh, timothy.wong at intervarsity.org. Just a simple email introduction. Um, uh, would, would be happy to, after that, share more, you know, share my phone number, share other ways yeah. of connection. Um, but the, that's probably the biggest one. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Um, I don't know how often people use Facebook <laughs> these days, but uh, you can find me. Feel free to find me on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, but I rarely post on Instagram, and they're mainly mm. pictures of my baby. So you may not even mm-hmm. know that like I'm a campus staff. <laughs> um, so yeah, those are the main ways. I hear you, man. You gotta you gotta separate the family versus the <laughs> the organization, Graham. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, just so we make sure this, this episode sees the light of day. Um, I have to, I have to ask you what Nate, our, our producer probably thinks is the most important, important question. Uh, when are you giving the racket back that he loaned you? <laughs> okay. I, I, people need the backstory to this. So, <laughs> you know, Nate, Nate's a good friend of mine, someone who's been um, a real connector uh, for me to grace and peace. 
and um, we, 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 but we kind of shared uh, a bond and a friendship around tennis and um, you know, everyone knows Nate's a generous guy. And so there was a time when I didn't have a racket and Nate was just like, Hey Tim here, borrow mine. You can play with mine for, you know, take for as long as you need it. And I was like, okay. And then one day more recently, nothing against Nate, but one day Nate just demanded his rackets back. And I was just like, you know, Nate, like, okay, but you know, this is kind of surprising to me. I enjoy these rackets. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, know why you need them back. And so Nate and I had just had a back and forth about giving his racket back to him. I, I, I am going to give the racket back, but I also, you know, I, I know that Nate realizes that campus ministers don't always make the, the most money to where they can just buy a nice tennis racket, you know, on a whim. So I, I was, I was trying to appeal to Nate's compassion there. Um, right. Yeah. Uh- but yeah, Nate, you, 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 you are getting your, I, I, I do need to give his, his, his racket back, but um, <laughs> yeah, we, we just won't be able to play tennis anymore. If he, if he, if he takes it. Mm, trade-offs. <laughs> That's tough, but it's, yeah, it sounds like it's been a good, a good gift and, and partnership to ministry. So yeah, balls in, in Nate's court, I guess, as to whether he's going to continue to demand them back or not, but well, Tim, it's been so great to, to talk with you, to hear about what you're doing with InterVarsity. Thanks so much for the time. Yeah, yeah, Terry, it was a pleasure. That was Terry Dykstra interviewing Tim Wong. Thanks for listening to Grace and People. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and we hope that you will reach out to us at our email, which is podcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email and let us know if you want to help out by being an interviewer or an interviewee. We'd love to have you on. Thanks again for listening. And oh yeah, this uh, episode was produced by myself and Joey Perez. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Take care.